Hello, everyone. You're listening to Crunch Squad. It's a podcast within a podcast where we discuss the rules, the mechanics, and the number crunching behind this wonderful game of Dungeons and Dragons. I am Ned, your host for Crunch Squad, and today I'm joined by... Thomas, it's me. I'm here. Yes, back in the saddle to talk about some geeky, geeky man-in-the-corner stuff. It's exactly where I want to be. Well, today's suggestion comes from an email that was sent to us by one of our listeners, Elsa. Thank you for all the emails you've sent us. We've loved to hear from you. And this had a couple different requests, but today we want to focus on a species... Uh, I believe the pronunciation is Osamar. I want to say. Yeah, a couple of different uh, pronunciations. Asamar, Asamar. Um, Asamar. Asamar. Uh, I, I just call it Asamar. Yeah, the uh, the one that I think Chris Perkins has settled on is Asamar. So I think that I'll, I'll try to make sure that I remember to say that correctly throughout this episode. Because they're awesome. Yes, Asamar. Awesome are they. So there <laughs> are... Inspiration. Thank you. You can be a cool DM even when we're not playing. Look at that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so oh my there are there are three different versions of the Asamar we're going to be looking at tonight. Yes. And we're going to discuss them in chronological order of when they were released. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to be looking at these on D&D Beyond, I'll, I'll give you like which one you're going to want to look for for those as well. But chronologically, the first one that was released is actually in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Yeah, from day one. Yeah, it's in a section, the Dungeon Master's Workshop, about creating new character options. And it's an example for how to create a new race. And this is where you can find out if your DM is cool, because, uh, or at least back in the day when 5e first came out, because they were really the only ones that had access to the Dungeon Master's Guide, because the players aren't really going to buy the Dungeon Master's Guide or the Monster Manual unless they're planning on Dungeon Mastering, right? So so the, the Dungeon Master really has to then present these options to your players and be like, hey, by the way, here's some potential options. Now, it's not as uh, pretty and drawn out as it is in the player's handbook because this is merely sort of like an archetype, a skeleton if you, if you call it, on how a dungeon master can create their own race with their own attributes and make it balanced in the world of 5e. Yeah, in fact what they did with this version of the Asamar is they essentially just said, hey, let's look at the tiefling. The tiefling is a humanoid with fiendish blood. Let's just kind of flip that on its head and turn it into a humanoid with celestial blood. And so thematically, like the mechanics here are very different than what you're going to see in the more fleshed out versions of the Asamar. So pretty straightforward, starting with an ability score increase, increase wisdom by one, charisma by two. Then we get into dark vision, pretty straightforward, celestial resistance, you have resistance to necrotic and radiant damage, and then something called celestial legacy, which gives you three different spells that you can cast as you start to level up. The light cantrip starting at first level, lesser restoration starting at third, and daylight starting at fifth level. And each of these you can cast once per long rest. Yeah, something I really enjoy, uh, not just about the Asimar here, and uh, Asimar, sorry, uh, yes. not just about the Asimar, but just about um, how uh, wizards present these uh, initial um, races uh, in, in the player's handbook is they really give sort of a guide or direction that if you're a brand new player or even if you want to go 
tra with traditional fantasy, it kind of gives you some some of your motivation. Like in the Dungeon Master's Guide here, it says uh, it gives you like your base goals as an Ozimar. One of them being you can make like an effective cleric or a paladin, obviously due to your celestial blood. The other one just describing like what the relationship between uh, Ozimars and humans are as opposed to tieflings and, and things like that. Yeah, they looked at first what thematically do we want this race to be able to accomplish and then kind of built the mechanics around that, which is pretty cool. Which I think as we, and this will be the end of my tangent here because I could go on for days, but as we've explored and discovered in um, I Cast Fireball is when you deal with theme first and then you work towards the mechanics or you work towards a character, it comes a lot more natural when it comes to role playing and when it comes to interacting with your dungeon master and becoming invested in the character because you were invested at the very first step of exploring the theme and finding something that latched onto you as opposed to trying to make yourself play uh, some like the healer just because you know uh, um, and then trying to find a way around that if that makes any sense mm -hmm. and now we're going to get into the subsequent versions of the Osimar that were a bit more thought out. Yes. And these two are very, very similar in a lot of ways. The updates that they made to the Osimar, it originally was released in Volo's Guide to Monsters. Oh, real quick uh, backtrack. If you're looking for the Dungeon Master's Guide version of the Osimar, that's going to be the variant version in D&D Beyond. Osimar variant. So now we have two additional versions. First one released in Volo's Guide to Monsters, and then tweaked a bit in Morden Kane's monsters of the multiverse and we're going to see that the abilities are basically the same except with a few interesting tweaks here and there and i think it's a pretty lateral change not like a significant buff or debuff there are areas in which i look at that and go oh yeah that's obviously better and other areas where i'm like maybe that's not quite maybe that's a bit of a nerf to the to the race but yeah i guess just starting with the volos one as a baseline i'm going to start working through the different abilities here yeah and uh, in volos in particular as i've read through it uh, multiple times uh, they really lean into this theme. Obviously, your Asamar uh, is celestial, but what type of a celestial do you want to be? And uh, Volos allows you to explore that mechanically as well. Yeah, that's something that we see in the fact that we have three sub-races that we're going to delve into the different mechanics of. First thing with the Asamar, you've got Charisma increased by two is your main ability score increase. And then each of the three sub-races has an additional ability score increase. If you're a Protector Asamar, you increase Wisdom by one, Scourge is Constitution by one, and Fallen Asamar is Strength increased by one. And th those are... Uh, they, they might be self-explanatory there, but uh, the Protector Ozimar is obviously has this, um, uh, they're charged with powers of good to uh, guard and protect and strike down evil when it arises. Very paladin-like, uh, you know, you know a traditional paladin, even a new age paladin, whatever you want to call the paladin that you're playing in your own campaign right now. Uh, that that sort of like, I'm, I'm going to be a beacon where I go. Kind of the most iconic image of the angel coming down to fight right. for goodness and whatnot. Yeah, the, the stereotype maybe, uh, if, if yeah. you could call it that. And then the scourge is kind of the other side where it's not so much the defending angel, it is the angel who's going to come and lay down the law. Kind of the, you know, 10 plagues of Egypt sort of angel, as it were. And then the fallen Osimar is somebody who used to be a really powerful angelic being, but has to maybe go through a bit of a redemption story, as it were. Right, absolutely. And so, I mean, and 
you don't have to go through a redemption story, of course, but that if you are going more traditional fantasy or storytelling route, The Fallen Asimar is probably going to be your path uh, if you are looking for some sort of redemption or from escaping a troubled past. And of course, one of the famous examples uh, in uh, D&D is Critical Role Season 2, where Ashley Johnson played a fallen Asimar uh, as well. Uh, so if you were thinking, oh, where have I seen that before? You might have seen it in there. Yeah, and that's the one that has the creepy skeletal wings, very metal. Yes, absolutely. Very metal, right? Absolutely. Which is an ability that not only the fallen Ozimar get, but every single one of these Ozimars get as well, right? Uh, they get a certain type of wings, but we might be getting a little bit of ahead of ourselves with fair. the mechanics there. So absolutely fair. The base Ozimar, all three of them get the following abilities. They have Dark Vision, they have Celestial Resistance, which this is something that is held over from the Dungeon Master's Guide, Resistance to Necrotic Damage and Radiant Damage. Then we get Healing Hands, and this is part of what makes them a very good Cleric or Paladin, that you can use an action to touch another creature and cause it to regain a number of hit points equal to your level, and you can do that once per long rest. Which is very, like, straight out of the Paladin's class almost, um, and so like, it, you can really double down on... Uh, if your Asimar is a paladin, uh, you're really doubling down on those powers. Yeah, because then you've got Lay on Hands and Healing Hands from the two different sources. Correct, yeah. Then we've got Light Bearer, you know the Light Cantrip, which is another holdover from the Dungeon Master's Guide. But then delving into what you were talking about, like this idea of all of these variants get this wing sort of avatar thing that they can do. Each subrace has a different sort of transformation that they can go through that gives them new abilities. And so starting with the Protector Osimar, the Shining Beacon of Hope, you get Radiant Soul. And each of these you access starting at third level, and you use an action to activate this state, and it lasts for one minute or until you end it with a bonus action. And while you are transformed, you have a flying speed equal to 30 feet, which is great. And then on each of your turns, you can deal extra radiant damage to one target when you deal damage to it with a, an attack or a spell. And that rate extra radiant damage equals your level, and you can use that transformation once per long rest. I mean, that's really good. How long do uh, does combat last longer than a minute, honestly? I mean, you, sh you pop that out right at the beginning, and you're doing extra damage every round, and you can fly. Yeah, for 12 full rounds of combat. Oh, that that is... That is quite good, regardless of your class. I mean, that is a very good power. I mean, like rogues flying, yeah, that's going to be a good thing. Wizard flying, going to be a good thing. You, you can't lose. You can't lose with flying. <laughs> and especially once you start to get up to the higher levels where you're dealing damage equal to your level, like you're dealing 20 damage per hit for a minute. I mean, absolutely. Like any, any guaranteed damage really whittles down on some of these higher level uh, enemies. Like, um, uh, for instance, dragons, they may have like legendary resistances and like legendary actions, uh, and they may be resistant to certain types of damage. But, you know, if you whittle away and everybody starts whittling away, those, those, those numbers are going to start to add up. So this is a real benefit here. Mm-hmm. Now looking at the Scourge Osmar, their, their sort of transformation is called Radiant Consumption. So same restrictions, you get it at third level. Action to activate lasts for one minute, once per long rest. When you transform, 
you shed bright light in a 10-foot radius and dim light for an additional 10 feet. At the end of each of your turns, you and each creature within 10 feet of you takes radiant damage equal to half your level rounded up. That's an interesting one. <laughs> really doubling down on um, you being a scourge unto the world and yourself, like really mm-hmm. sacrificing some of your own health there. And this is a good one to pull up when you're in combat with a lot of people, but if it's just you and one bad guy and all your friends, it, it is kind of hard to justify pulling this out. Right, like if you have a bunch of minions and there's just like a, a army of goblins running at you, that's when you get your barbarian to do a fastball special and launch you into the middle of those goblins and then you activate this and uh, your healer tries to do healing word from afar or something like that. Exactly. Uh, but then the final benefit from this transformation is this Osmar also gets the extra radiant damage equal to their level once per turn on a hit. And then we get to our final subrace, the Fallen Osmar and their transformation. This is what we were talking about with the skeletal wings, very metal. Uh, you sprout these skeletal, ghostly, flightless wings from your back, and the instant you transform, other creatures within 10 feet of you that can see you have to succeed on a charisma saving throw or become frightened of you until the end of your next turn. Which frightened, I mean, we, we've come across it a little bit in I Cast Fireball, but frightened is a nasty condition. Uh, it doesn't necessarily make you run away, um, but you can't advance towards the target, and you have disadvantage on me- like attacks while I think it's melee attacks uh, while the person is within range of who you're afraid of or within sight. Yeah, within line of sight. So that's a pretty good buff. And then these guys also get the extra damage to their hits. But instead of radiant damage this time, it's necrotic damage because you're metal and super edgy. Yeah, that's probably the best way to think about it. Uh, very, uh, <laughs> um, I don't know, very very metal is just a very uh, succinct way to put it. And then we're going to start looking at, now that we've gotten through all of this stuff in the Volos version, we're going to compare and contrast that with the Monsters of the Multiverse version. Yep, and uh, while Ned's pulling that up, I'm just going to point out real quick in Volos, for all of you uh, Dungeon Masters there, uh, if you're trying to help your Ozomars be awesome, uh, there's a little blurb in Volos that say, hey, note to the DM, playing an angelic guide. It's just two short paragraphs on how, how you can really help your Ozomar feel like an Ozomar instead of like just a human with wings. And so now looking at the most recent version, like I said, it's very, very similar in a lot of ways. So we're going to have to dig in pretty deep to find the specific differences. First thing to note, the new version, you can be medium or small when you choose this race. Ooh, now I should preface, I I actually don't have this book yet, so this is all new to me as well. So Ned will be guiding me just like you, dear listener. And I think we're going to have some fun, Thomas, with you and your math background going into some of the statistics and the dice math and whatnot. So things that we see that are similar, Celestial Radiance, still have that. Dark Vision, still have that. Healing Hands, uh, well, Light Bearer, we still have that. That's exactly the same. But the differences come in the Healing Hands ability and the fact that we no longer have three separate sub-races. Rather, you just, when you choose this race, when you reach third level, you choose one of these three options, and that becomes part of your abilities. Interesting. So yeah, thematically, we're no longer defining it as what type of angel you are, like what angelic role you have. It's just kind of 
what ability you have that comes along with you. Which, you know, uh, we know Wizards of the Coast, uh, they're, they're moving more towards that generalization, not generalization, but uh, that um, customization option for players in the edition coming out next year and all their future books as well. So that makes sense. Yeah. And in some ways, kind of, you might say, divorcing mechanic from thematic, which for some people is really great because, you know, maybe you want to play a kobold druid, for example, even though it's not the best combination (laughs) and still get some good mechanical customization out of that. But You know, it might be a bad thing as well if you really like having your mechanics tied to the thematics of your character. So pluses and minuses. Now, looking at the different variants, I want to get to Healing Hands last because that has some of the most kind of mechanical crunch to it that I want to get into. Mm -hmm. But looking at the different abilities, they, they technically speaking have the same name. We've still got Necrotic Shroud, we've still got Radiant Consumption and Radiant Soul, and they still generally speaking do the same thing, but there's little tweaks here and there. So starting with the Necrotic Shroud. The first thing that's different is creatures other than your allies within 10 feet of you that can see you are the only creatures that have to make that saving throw to avoid becoming frightened. Oh, interesting. So that's a definite buff to this version of the awesome art. A hundred percent, hundred percent. That's interesting. That's an interesting change. Yeah. Now, a thing that is a bit of a debuff I believe, to kind of counterbalance that is you still also deal the extra necrotic damage on your turn, but now it's no longer equal to your level, it's equal to your proficiency bonus. Yeah, and uh, that, yeah, that makes sense. Um, just with a lot of the other material they've been coming out, they, they like, they're leaning into proficiency bonuses quite a bit. Still good, but yeah. Yeah, and so the reason we see this as a pretty obvious debuff is you start with a proficiency bonus of two, and at level one and level two, that's still good, but once you reach third level, whereas with the Volos version of the Awesomar, you're dealing additional damage very quickly. With the Monsters of the Multiverse version, it's a much slower progression after that point. Yeah, and even if you're 16th level or so, what's your proficiency? is still only plus five at that point, right? And so, yeah. uh, so instead of doing 16 extra damage per round against a ancient dragon or a beho- like two beholders you're only doing plus five per round so yeah that, that is a bit of a debuff yeah so an obvious buff in that your friends can't become frightened by you but a debuff in that you're doing less damage i mean that would be pretty terrible if like your your barbarian it becomes frightened of you and all of their attacks are a disadvantage so i mean yeah situationally the trade-off is makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and this is why I said earlier that I think it's a pretty lateral modification to the Awesomar. Um, yeah. Some obvious increases, some obvious decreases that kind of mm-hmm. bounce each yeah. other out. Then going on to the Radiant Consumption that used to belong to the Scourge Awesomar, we still have the thing where you shed bright for 10 feet where you shed bright light for 10 feet and dim light for an additional 10 feet. We still have the thing where you deal radiant damage at the end of your turn, but now it's only, it doesn't include yourself. It does include all creatures within 10 feet of you, so that is allies and enemies, and that damage is now equal to your proficiency bonus rather than your level. And thematically, that makes sense to me as well. Like, if you really are this beacon that was sent to Earth or whatever, a planet that you're playing on, then why would you have to take the damage as well? Um, And of course, if they're going to do proficiency bonus for one, you got to do it for all, right? And that also does pass over to you still do the extra radiant damage on each of your turns. But once again, that's your proficiency bonus instead of your level. And then radiant soul, same thing. You still do the radiant damage, but it's proficiency bonus instead of level. And the flying speed for most intents and purposes is going to be the same. Now it specifies that it's equal to your walking speed, whereas previously it specifically said 30 feet. 
and most of the people's walking speed is 30. Yeah, so it's just kind of a different way of wording it. Well, I guess also, unless you're like playing an awesome arm monk, in which case your walking speed could have increased. Oh, yes, that's true. Yeah, that absolutely is true. And so now that we've gone through those, I want to get back to healing hands uh, because I want to talk a little bit about dice math and probability and averages and whatnot. Oh boy, here we go. So the base healing hands, it's you touch creature as an action, you can deal you can return to them a number of hit points equal to your level once per long rest. And in this one, it's the same thing, action to touch them once per long rest, but now you roll a number of d4s equal to your proficiency bonus and they regain that many hit points. Ooh. And what dice is it? A d8? Uh, d4s. D4. Okay, d4. Now, this is where the math starts to get interesting. And the first thing I want to just point out is if you're looking at the average number for a die roll, if you think, oh, average of a d4, that's obviously two, right? Well, it's a little trickier than that. It's actually 2.5 is the average die roll for a d4. And so starting at first level and going through the first four levels where your proficiency bonus is plus two, you're going to be dealing an average of five hit points back to your ally each time you do this. And so that is a very obvious improvement. Levels one through four, where typically with the old one, you would be dealing just your level number of hit points. Now you're dealing an average of five every time you do it. Right. And we see that increase where your proficiency bonus increases to three. Now you're dealing an average of 7.5 and four, an average of 10. And up until you reach 10th level, it's a pretty obvious buff. Yes. On average, you're going to be dealing a lot more hit points back to your friends than you would be with the original Osimar. But after you hit 11th level, it never quite matches the same average amount yeah. of hit points that you're dealing. Yeah, it really starts to become not as beneficial at that point. And uh, I have some theories on maybe why why they did this. May, uh, one, to obviously to balance, but um, how many people play a campaign past 10th level, you know? Exactly. Like, <laughs> so like, it's only going to benefit you to use these rules if you're just playing one shots or if, if you feel like, yeah, we're going to do a campaign, but in the back of your mind, you're doubting if it's really going to go anywhere. Um, then this is to your benefit because, uh, I mean, the only time I've ever played past 10th level is what, I cast Fireball? here <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and uh and that's pretty much it so all these benefits the earlier you can get them which seems to be the case here uh the more beneficial it is yeah but you are right the math does does seem to break down after uh level 10 to where the other way in volo's guide would be more beneficial it's still still good i mean it's it's not like it's a terrible thing after 10th level and it doesn't dip but if you compare it to volo's then that one's going to be superior at higher levels. And even then, it's not a huge debuff on higher levels. Like at level 20, with the Volos version, you would be doing plus 20 every turn. It's only down to an average of 15, which isn't a huge decrease. But even then, you still have the potential to maybe get up to 24. So, Right, absolutely. I think... Um and it's all the randomness, right? Like, because you're rolling dice now, instead of having a guaranteed level and be like, oh, I can guarantee give you 15 hit points or whatever. I can guarantee give you five. Uh, now it's a dice roll of like, crap, I could give you five or I could give you two, you know, or, and we, that could really screw us either way. Like, do I want to waste my action and possibly only give two, you know, two compared to five or you know, what have you. Yeah, so this is where we get into, you know, kind of like I talked about in the Kobold episode, 
all of these options are still available to you. And so now that we've gone through the differences between them, hopefully you can make a more informed decision of when you hop into D&D Beyond to create your awesome art character, do you go with the most recent one or do you find the one that has the legacy tag next to it and make the Vol's Guide to Monsters version of the awesome art? And, you know, hopefully we've given you enough information to inform that decision. Yeah, absolutely. And it's 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 awesome that uh, you have so many options here and that you're going to continue to keep having more options as Woods of the Coast keeps moving forward. Uh, it, for anybody who doesn't know, next year is going to be a huge year for D&D. Uh, with, uh, um, they're not calling it a new system, but for a new upgrade, um, a new update to uh, the rules and like uh, new adventures as well. So it's going to be it's going to be a big year and there's going to be a lot of options for people um, to be able to explore and use to really feel that they can create the hero that they've always wanted to create. And a lot more crunch squads for us to do. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for the Awesome R here in this episode. And so everybody out there in podcast world, we hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we have enjoyed. Well, we, we certainly enjoy digging into the math behind how dice work. And maybe you didn't enjoy it quite as much, but we enjoyed it. We enjoyed it for you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now, from wherever you get your podcast, please leave us a review. It helps to boost our ratings throughout each podcast service. It puts our shows in people's recommended feeds, and it just lets us know that you like what we're do and it warms our hearts and fills our souls. Now, if you want to write something a little bit longer than a review, you can also email us at icastfireball2020 at gmail.com. I would like to add in a caveat that just because you want to write us something longer than a review doesn't mean you can't also leave us a review. You can do both. You could do both. You could do, uh, you can also go visit our Kofi page. You can also go visit us on our social media web pages, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and also visit us there yeah with the handle i cast fireball 20 yeah that too and which we've just been announcing it not not too much here but starting in july you can go to our patreon as well exactly it's very exciting times around here i cast fireball oh yeah and if you want to get uh, some more possible sneak peeks of some of our upcoming plans uh maybe some interesting insights from the players and the dm behind the scenes shots of us making this incredibly fun world go check us out on those social media platforms and our patreon account now, we just want to give a quick shout out to some podcast called Improv Tabletop, where yeah. some resident kobold takes a turn as a GM. Yeah. And we're currently in the midst of our Blades in the Daofei campaign, Blades in Dark in the setting of Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah. Crazy wild times over there. Uh, and we've also got all of our Fate Accelerated campaigns completely improvised. We sit down, we have no idea what we're going to say, and it just turns out super fun and zany. Yeah. And so we would encourage you to go give those a listen. And I'm going to plug just one real quick uh, Halloween PD. That yeah. was one of the first ones that Thomas was in. And he plays a very delightful troll named Harshnag. Ah, it's a ton of fun. Don't forget to leave them a five-star review on the way out as well. Yeah. And you know, you don't have to just leave us a review. You <laughs> can also send us an email at improvtabletop.gmail.com. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Lastly, though, please like, subscribe, and share with your friends and fellow wacky adventurers. But until next time, I am Ned, your host for Crunch Squad, and around the table we have Thomas, enjoying the math. Keep the fire going, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye!